First Chronicles 4, 9. First Chronicles is directly after the book of 2 Samuel. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Chronicles. If you will go with me to the fourth chapter. I want to talk about the, the thought on the marquee. As you arrived in the uh, sanctuary today, you saw the, um, the marquee say, as David did. And you know, when you look at the life of David, and we have been looking at the life of David the past uh, several weeks, and the things that David took on, the exploits that David had, the challenges that David had, something that we learn about David, and we're going to look at that passage of Scripture in just, just a minute. But David was not just a praiser, but David was a prayer warrior. Half of the Psalms, there are 150 of them, half of the Psalms, 75 of them, are not praise reports, they are prayers of David. David said, give ear to my word, O Lord, consider my meditation, hearken the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I cry. O Lord, in the morning will I lift my prayer unto thee and will look up. The Bible talks about where David prayed that God would bring him out of the miry clay, set him upon a rock, put a new song in his mouth. So David was not just a dancer. David was not just a warrior. He was not just a musician. He was not just a worshiper. David knew how to pray. And several years ago, and I, I, and I, I had the privilege of, of meeting the gentleman that wrote the book. Several years ago, there was a book written that I wish that I had written. And it was called The Prayer of Jabez. And if you'll notice in First Chronicles, the fourth chapter, it's a, it's a great book. It's a great prayer. But I want to I show you something about the people of the Old Testament. They were obviously bored or intoxicated. Because when you look at the names of some of their children, I mean, just for the, just for the, the fun of it, the sons of Judah were Perez, Hazan, Carmi, Hur, Shobal, and Rehiah, son of Shobal, begot Jahath, and Jahath begot Anuanai, and Lahad, and these are the families of the Zorites, and there was Etam, Jezreel, Ishma, Itabash, and the, and the name of their sister was Hazel Point. What kind of name is Hazel Point? Hello, and Peniel was the father of Gedor, and Ezer was the father of Husha. And as you read on and on, the wildest, craziest name, they had to be smoking something. They had to be, they might have found some mushrooms or something to, to name their children. You know, in China, they just named their children by dropping a spoon on the step. And the first sign, Ching, Chong, whatever it is, that's how they named their children. Uh, in a, in a, what? What? You actually got it. I'm, I'm impressed. Give yourself a hand. I actually told a joke that you got. Anyway. Now it got me all messed up. Right in the middle, and as you begin to research this chapter, uh, some of these guys and some of these girls didn't always do the right things. And some of these guys and some of these girls turned out to be idol worshipers. And some of them turned out to sacrifice things to Baal. And this was kind of a season of backsliding in the, in, the, in the land of Israel. The people of God had kind of turned away from God. But right in the middle of all these weird names and right in the middle of all these people that kind of got away from God, we find verse 9. And verse 9 says, Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. Obviously, she struggled in childbirth. Obviously, there were some complications. Obviously, there, there were some negatives. And you know that there is a percentage of ladies in the world that die when they give birth, by the way. Stacy gave birth uh, Monday morning at, let's see, see Thursday morning at 3 o'clock. 
Stacy gave birth to a beautiful little girl, five pounds, 12 ounces, and we thank God for that. One of our one of our girls now that has a baby, we'll be praying for her. But for some for some reason, there was something in the birth of Jabez that so touched his mom that she named him Pain. Now, how would you like how would you like for your name to be mean Pain, or your name to be Trouble, or or a name like Ichabod, which means God has departed? So. We would like to think she put more thought in his name because Jabez was an honorable man. And notice what the verse says about Jabez. And Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. Every time you said his name, it reminded him that he caused his mother pain. But in this prayer, he said, Lord, enlarge my territories, bless me, let your hand be with me, keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. And notice, if you will, and God granted him what he requested. Could there be a generation right in the middle of the generation that we're a part of now? Could there be a generation that would actually call upon the name of the Lord and say, God, bless me, enlarge my territory keep my hand from evil let me be a light in a dark place let me be a blessing could there not be a generation that god has been raising up the focus of this house the past several weeks has been the power of prayer the ability to communicate with god we sang it today we are a friend of god there was a song written and if the lord allows early in in january I'm going to do a message just about the red hymnal, all the powerful truths about the red hymnal. But Pastor Jeff, you were sharing with me, the guy that wrote the, the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, had a terrible tragedy in his life. His fiance died, and he sequestered himself to a, a closet for a long length of time. And in his sorrow, he wrote the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. All our griefs and sins to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer and to know today that we don't just have a friend I mean when you think about when you think about dropping names I mean if I was a friend of Mr. Obama regardless of where he stands right now I would drop his name oh yeah me and Obama we golf together oh yeah we tan together I'm, t I'm darker than him yeah we tan together yeah we I mean I mean can you imagine a a, a name dropper I remember when Bo Bice came and, and, and met, met JD and JD called me and said Bo Bice is here and I got on the phone tar started talking to Bice I told everybody yeah I'm a friend of Bo Bice yeah we talked on the phone when Rick Derringer and I went to Starbucks and drank coffee Rick Derringer that did rock and roll hoochie coo we sat and drank coffee I called I called everybody you're not going to believe who I'm having coffee with I'm having coffee with Rick Derringer who never mind you weren't born in the 50s you don't have a clue who that is but it's so fun sometimes to, to be associated with, with, with the name. It's a privilege being the friend of Phil Driscoll or Judy Jacobs or Perry Stone. It's, it's, it's fun to let people know that you're a small frog on a large lake, but you've got a lot of big frog friends. How cool is that? The president of Daystar called and said, would you come and meet us in Chattanooga? I did, and I let everybody know, hey, I'm eating dinner with the president of Daystar. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, we're going to our favorite place, J. Alexander. We're going to have a blast. It's so fun to let people know that you're not a loser. It's so funny to let people know that you know stuff. You, 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 got, you got things you know that nobody else knows, and it's a privilege. But can you imagine dropping the name of God? I'm a friend of God. I, I, we're best friends. I mean, I know his middle name. How many knows the middle name of God? Anybody? Oh, yeah, we can know it. It's Andy. 
and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me yeah his name is Andy Jehovah Andy that's his name I mean to be I mean to be so close to God that God wouldn't say a word but he would simply do this motion with his eyes and you'd be so close to know that you knew what that meant and you would respond to what God wanted you to do how cool would it be to be that close to God he said, if you draw nigh unto me, I will draw nigh unto you. So it's kind of like, it's not really that God is hiding, but God is at a place that he wants you to pursue. The Bible says, who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Who shall dwell in thy tabernacle? And the word responds, he who has holy hands and a, and a pure heart. Few of us have a pure heart. We are all grown up in the environment of the world I mean, everything we see on television, everything we read, everything that we're around, it's tough to be pure when you live in an unpure society. It's tough to be holy when everything on television is trying to exploit and try to pursue this and pursue that. And I'm going to tell you, the Victoria's Secrets models, that ain't really them. That's airbrushes, and that's, that's people trying to deceive and trying to tell us that we need to look like Kent and Barbie. Let me tell you something. Kent is gay. So there you have it. And Barbie now, the latest edition, has, and there's nothing wrong with tattoos. I intend to get one just as soon as Pastor Ronald lets me. But there's nothing wrong. But, but the, new, the new Barbie doll has her tongue pierced, has her, her nose pierced. She has her, her belly button pierced. She has tattoos everywhere. It's tough when the world says, you need to look like this or you need to dress like this. I remember there was a gay guy in, in, in uh, Chattanooga talking to buy my first pair of girl jeans, and they really are more comfortable than guys' jeans than I, and I love them. But we are influenced. Did I lose you there? We are, we are influenced by the environment. I mean, how often do you go to Outback and someone says, hey, let's have a prayer meeting for 10 minutes? How many times somebody called you and said, hey, I'll meet you at 5 a.m. at the church. Listen, if you told me we were going deer hunting, I'd meet you at 5 a.m. Or if you told me we were going Black Friday, we were going to Walmart where everything was half price, I would be there at 3 a.m. Come on. Some people would spend the whole night in the parking lot waiting for that opportunity. But you would say, hey, we got a friend in Jesus. Why don't we go and talk to him today and tell him what's going on and let him know where we're at and see what he would have, he would have to tell us. So, so there's something about the power of prayer. If you'll go with me to my second reference, which is in Psalms 20, and this is a one-minute prayer. I want to talk a, little, talk a little bit about prayers answered. I don't know how hard it would be for you to go to my, uh, my contacts and pull up that message I told you about. Last night... Um, there are only two things, Everett, that overcome the enemy. Only two things. Your testimony and the power of the blood. Your testimony and the power of the blood. The devil hates it, not, not that you've been redeemed, but that you would tell somebody else you've been redeemed. The devil can't stand it when you start telling where you were and where you're at now. He hates that. He cannot stand that. And the blood of Jesus... And there's a fountain filled with blood that we tap into, that we apply the blood of Jesus to our lives so that we are pure, we're holy, we're sanctified in his name. There was a, there was a church in, in Knoxville that wanted to make a difference in their community. They wanted to touch their community. So they went out and spent $3,000 on hams and turkeys. And all day yesterday, they ministered to the, the, to the neighborhood and gave away 250 turkeys and hams saying tonight... We're going to have a special awareness on how our America has become addicted. There's a praise and worship team. The church was full. The girls went and did their testimony. It was incredible. There wasn't a dry eye in the house. People were crying. People were worshiping. And in the, in the meeting last night, as I shared 
America the Addicted. And last night, Pastor Connie, I did it without notes. I did it from memory. That was kind of scary. But anyway, as I was sharing the, the story and we came, we came time for the altar and I asked for everybody to, to, to close their eyes and bow their head, I said, how many are here tonight that you are addicted to legal prescription? You got hurt, you got wounded, an accident, a football injury, and, and they put you on medication and you're still on medication and you run out early and you're, you're abusing right now. Twelve people lifted their hands. I said, how many here tonight have got that hook? And uh, the second Sunday in January, I'm going to preach a message entitled, Another Look at the Hook. Another Look at the Hook. What did the enemy do to distract you? What did the enemy do to get you off the path? What did the enemy do to get you to not focus on the things of God and pursue the things of the world? What, what bait did the enemy use? What kind of hook did he try to put in your life to snag you and yank you away from what God wants you to have and what God wants you to be? But last night I asked how many, and, and I've been doing this for 31 years, I think I know what I'm talking about, 90% of everyone that I minister to concerning drugs got hooked on nicotine. Cigarettes was the first, the first bondage, the first step in their life, how the enemy got them that they had to need something they couldn't live without it. And when I walk through a drug rehab, the last thing to go is cigarettes. First thing to come, last thing to go. Last night, there were 12 hands lifted and said, pray for me, I want to quit smoking. I want to quit smoking. I asked last night, I said, how many of you are, are playing with marijuana? You're experiencing alcohol. You're just kind of testing the water, just kind of playing. You're not on drugs. You're not alcoholic, but you're messing around. There were six hands that were lifted. So last night, I felt like we touched 30 people that would have never been touched had the pastor not brought the church together. But in the building, there were some pastors. One of the pastors we've been praying for for a long time, he got hurt real bad in a sports injury, and the doctor prescribed him to hydros. And, he, and, and the injury took place three years ago, but for the past three years, he has been addicted. He's been at a place where he had to start every day by taking drugs. I got a text from him this morning, if I may read this text. If my phone will submit. Hey, Pastor. That, that's me, Pastor. For the first time in my own struggles, I got up this morning not having to battle with a desire for meds. Thanks, I believe, in what you're doing. If nothing else happened but that, it was worth it all. I spent $200 on gas. I spent $50 on food. I drove two and a half hours one way. I sewed something last night. I spent some money last night. I invested last night. And if that's the only thing that happened, it's worth it all. Just for one child to touch the things of God, one child to touch the presence of God makes prayer worth it. And I, and I know we, we pray that God would move last night. The church has been praying as we've been praying for a breakthrough. The past few Sundays, I'm not sure what it's all about, but we have been experiencing a breakthrough. We've been experiencing the way the, the Bible says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. This church was birthed on a desire to praise and worship God. There are churches in this city that Pastor Ron and I went and ministered to, and the pastor had enough confidence in us to let us run the service how we wanted, and we raised up in three churches a praise and worship team that originally had a choir in one of those churches, the largest churches in the city. We know what praise and worship is all about because we are praisers and we're worshipers, and when you do what God wants you to do, he compliments you and he blesses you regardless of your financial condition. Regardless of what you're going through, or regardless of what you're experiencing, there are, there are times in your life when God will bless. There are times in your life when you just hold on as, as hard as you can hold on. Come on. How many can relate to this fact? I'm just holding on. 
guy was out mountain climbing, fell off the cliff. There was a there was a, a bush growing out the side of the cliff. He managed to hold on to it. He's holding on there for dear life. He's losing his strength. He's losing energy. He looks up at the top of the cliff. He says, help! Is there anybody up there? And a voice cries back down and says, yes, my son, it's the Lord. He said, well, Lord, could you help me? I've fallen off this mountain. I'm holding on this bush, and I'm about to die. And the Lord said, yes, son, I'll help you. Turn loose of the bush. Kind of quiet for a moment. He said, is there anybody else up there? I don't think Janice got it. Oh, she got it. She got it. We try to solve things our own ways, and what a mess we make. What a mess we make trying to do it our way. We should have learned from Elvis. You don't, we don't do it our way. We do it God's way. His way is the best way. His thoughts are the best thoughts. What he does is working for our good. Before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you would be here today and wanted to bless you and touch your life. But notice, if you will, do we have that prayer up there? Psalm. There's a couple of things I want to bring attention to in Psalms 20. Can everybody see it? The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. How many feel like sometimes that when you pray, there is a, you're in a vault? How, how, many, how many ever, when we were in, in college, we tried to see how many people we could get into a, a dryer, a clothes dryer? And you only get one. And then we see how many times you would go around before you threw up. And you can do it like 15 or 20 times before you, before you throw it up. But, but there, are, there are times when I feel like I'm in that dryer. Come on, help me here. I feel like I'm in that dryer spinning out of control with absolutely no balance, no focus. And I feel like I am out there and I'm, I'm going I'm to crash and burn. Can anybody relate to that? And it seemed like no matter how loud you cry out to God or how you pray or, or the format of your prayer, I, I remember Jonah was a spirit-filled Church of God evangelist. And in those days of, of being spirit-filled in the Church of God, you always prayed the King James Prayer. Matter of fact, there are preachers today that will say you're going to die and go to hell if you don't read the King James Version. I don't know about it, but I got about 11 versions and I haven't died and gone to hell yet, so I guess, I guess it's safe so far. But I remember when Jonah went to a revival and had a meeting, the pastor asked him to pray over the noon meal. Jonah prayed, Well, bless Godeth. We knoweth, Lordeth, that thou art heareth todayeth with your childreneth, and you're going to bless us with showers of many blessings. Glory to God, hallelujah, ameneth. That's the King James prayer. And a lot of people find great satisfaction in praying fancy prayers and fancy words. But let me tell you something. When he found himself in the belly of the whale, he dropped the King James Spring Sense and said, Oh, God, what's wrong with you? Why am I here? What's going on in my life? What are you trying to do? And God said, Not meeth, youeth. <laughs> You're the one that's in rebellion. You're the one that's out of order. Turn back to God and he will turn towards you. So here's what David said. Hear me in the day of trouble. David had a lot of trouble. There are a lot of people that didn't like him. For, 11, for 13 years, there was 3,000 men that chased him, trying to kill him. May the, may the name of the God of Jacob defend thee. If you weren't here Wednesday night, you need to get the CD, incredible word on, on the life of Jacob, wrestling with one of my spiritual grandchildren was here Sunday, Wednesday morning, Wednesday night ministering, a great word on the name of Jacob. The name of Jacob meant deceiver. It meant supplanter. It meant liar. It meant loser. 
But when Jacob encountered God, his name was changed to Israel, which means the place of God or the family of God. The world may call you loser. They may call you drug addict. They may call you liar. But he calls you holy. He calls you precious. He calls you his own. And I'd rather know what God has to say about me than what the world has to say about me. Notice the next verse. Send, send help from the sanctuary. The church should be a place in the community that helps people. A church should not be a social issue. The church should not be a glam club. The church should not be the one that has the greatest lights and fogs and intelligent lights and all that stuff and steeples and stained glass windows. That's all great. And if I had the money, we'd have all that. But that's not what the church is all about. The church is supposed to be in the community to do three things. Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and minister the ones in prison. That is, our, that is our purpose. Our purpose is not to puff you up. Our purpose is to bless you, make you feel good. Our purpose is not to get you all these, these warm, uh, uh, huggy, uh, mushy moments. No, our purpose is to teach you, to equip you, that you have assets, you have abilities, you have talents that God wants you to use in the last day to touch this city. This city is dying and going to hell. I don't care if there's 350 churches in this community. This city is dying and going to hell. There are people that are dying and going to hell in this city that live next door to you, and we've got to have a come up with a plan to figure out, I don't care if we have to manipulate them. Well, Pastor, hey, why would you suggest manipulation? Because he that wins souls is wise. When's the last time you told your neighbor, hey, neighbor, you go to church every Sunday after church, we're usually out by 12, we'll head towards Outback, and I'll buy you the Victoria Cut. Not, not, not the six ounce, but the eight ounce. When's the last time you told your neighbor that? What's, what's the last plan that God gave you to try to win your neighbor to the Lord? When's the last time you ever witnessed anybody? When's the last time, or have you ever invited somebody to the house of God? That's why this church is here. It's a hospital for the whosoevers. And if you've been to a hospital, it's only made up of two types of people, ones that are hurting and ones that are helpful. You are either hurting and you're here to get healed, and you should eventually get healed. You can only milk this thing so long. So long. You can, only, you can only mooch so long. I mean, you can only complain so long. By hearing positive word and positive worship, you should be changed. We come in one direction, we leave another. We don't leave the way we come in. Something happens when you encounter God. And I felt like, Nikki, I had a word from the Lord that, that I know that your homecoming has been delayed, but when you go home, they're going to look at you and say, there's something about your countenance that's different. What's, what's going on in your life? And it's not drugs, but when Moses touched God and saw him, his countenance changed. There's something about when you come to the house of God, there should be a change in your life. There should be a change in your heart. Something should, something should click and you should say, wow, I never thought of that. Maybe I could try that. Maybe I could do that. Absolutely. A good man falls down seven and gets back up eight. Jim Ryan didn't break the world, the, the world record in the mile the first month of his, of his career. He ran for years. He trained. It took him a long time to be able to complete that, that great feat. And when you look at some of the great men and women of God, when you look at Thomas Edison, is he great? Absolutely. One for Tom, Thomas Edison, we'd all be sitting around the dark. And I'd be screaming at you, no microphone. I mean, how scary that would be. Most of you wouldn't come anyway. But aren't you, aren't you glad for men like Thomas Edison that never gave up? Now, I don't know that he actually counted 997, failure. 998, failure. 999, failure. 1,000, home run. History books claims that he, he, was defeat, he did not succeed 1,000 times to do the light bulb, and 1,000 try, the light bulb worked. Aren't you glad he didn't give up? 
Aren't you glad that he did what God wanted him to do and did what God called him to do? You should leave the house of God knowing what your destiny is. You should leave the house of God excited, inspired, anointed, ready to go do something. So David said, Lord, send help. Let the church help me and strengthen me out of Zion. Zion is a place where God lives. That's the presence of God. So David didn't just expect help from church, but he expected help from God. Let me tell you something. When you call upon God, he not just hears, but he already has the answer headed your way. But if you do anything about spiritual warfare, first of all, the enemy doesn't want you to pray. Oh, you don't think so? Decide tomorrow, I'm going to pray an hour before I get up and do anything. I'm just going to go pray an hour. You will not believe the distractions that will come your way. The first distraction is that you will be tempted to text somebody and say, hey, I'm praying an hour. <laughs> that's, your first, that's your first distraction. And then you say, man, I need some coffee. And they say, man, I need some background music. Man, I need to, I need to throw a load of clothes real quick before I, I get the day started. You will, you will be blown away at the distractions that come when you simply say, I'm going to pray. I love what John Skipworth said Wednesday about we began with a season of prayer and then it turned into a day of prayer and then an hour of prayer and now it's a moment of prayer how the more that we get from God the less we talk back to him because we're too busy with our toys help me now there's so many there's so many things in our life going on I mean it's not the way it used to be in the Old Testament the only thing they had to do was sit around and think up stupid names to give their children there's a lot of stuff on our plate you might be a soccer mom. You might be a softball dad. You might have a kid in drama and dance in the, in the band. You might be working two jobs. You might be doing all these things, trying to make everything happen. And it seems like the time for God gets pushed farther and farther and farther away. It only takes a minute to pray this prayer. He said, God, don't just let the church strengthen me, but God, answer from heaven. Pour out a blessing from heaven and let me walk in it. The next thing he says, remember all the offerings that I've sowed. Remember the burnt sacrifice. Remember, remember the seeds that I've sowed in the kingdom. You remember Cornelius? When Paul went to Cornelius, said, Cornelius, your, your prayers and your offerings have been a memorial unto God. When's the last time you fed somebody that didn't have any food? When's the last time you stopped at a window and said, man, you, you, you look like you need this hamburger more than me, and you gave them the money to buy your hamburger. When, when's the last time that we did that? I mean, you don't know God could bring an angel into your life that you could entertain and feed and one day stand before God and hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Or you could go to a church that says, hey, you don't have time, you're, you're, you're too busy, and you, you, don't, you, you can't focus on bringing a, a box of ramen noodles, then on your offering just write food pantry and we'll spend that money for food pantry. How hard can that be? Obviously not very hard. Remember all that offering. Well, no, go back. There's, there's something very important you see there. Remember all my offerings and accept my burnt sacrifice. Watch the next word. Selah. Found 75 times in the Bible. Only four times not found in the book of Psalms. Selah was David's word. And what the word Selah means is this pause and calmly think about what God has done for you pause and calmly think about what God has done for you and when I try to remind God of how much I've given him then God just allows me to remember what he has done for me 
when I think of his goodness and what he's done for me, it makes me want to what? Dance, 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 shout, 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 twin, spin, 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 twirl, twirl, twirl. Well, most of us have dementia. We can't spin very well. We'll fall down on the floor and make a fool of ourselves. But, you know, sometimes it's, it's important to shake those extensions out of your hair. We're preaching good now. Sometimes it's okay to just let those, those bobby pins like missiles just fly out and wake somebody up. I don't know. Sometimes you just need to let yourself know, I'm alive. Hello. Give that old Noxzema commercial. Get, just slap yourself aside. I'm alive. I'm not dead. I'm full of life. I'm full of fem. I'm full of vigor. God has blessed me. He woke me up this morning, started me on my way. I'm not in jail. I'm not in prison. I'm not in the hospital. I'm not dead. I'm not hooked. I'm free. Because he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Selah. Pause and calmly think about all the promises of God. Think of all the things that he's planned for you. All the things he's already done for you. In everything, give him thanks. It's tempting to cancel Wednesday night service. It's tempting. A lot of people are making plans for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a great day. It, it, Thanksgiving celebrates the day that we came to this country and we befriended the Indian and we became covenant with the Indian and we, and we, and we celebrate together. Since then, we violated that covenant, but I have forgiven your people what they did to my people. And scalp three of you, Chris and... <laughs> God even is important. And, and it say, you know what? Let's just don't have let's just don't have Wednesday night service. But this Wednesday night, we'll have some testimonies. We'll have people tell you how good God has been to them. Harold is a survivor of the Joplin tragedy. Harold lost his dad at a very young age, very bad circumstances. Harold has, has been in a place where he has been handicapped and frustrated because of because of, 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 of his health. Since Harold's been here, God has healed him. And yesterday, he got a job at Amazon making $10 an hour. That's a testimony. And if you're looking for a job or you're frustrated about your health, last night we had three guys stand and tell the congregation of felonies that were forgiven, literal felonies forgiven. And all three of them, without exception, was because they got a letter from the pastor of this church that said they're in rehab and they passed a drug test. They were doing great. I told Susie last night, those testimonies were just for you. And Susie said, well, were they FBI, federal? I said, I don't care if it's FBI, CIA, TW, ADD, C5, 319. It's for you. If God did it for them, God will do it for you. I believe that God will forgive her and not let her be incarcerated. Let her do, she don't need to be in jail. She needs to be ministering at the Hope House. Today, look at somebody say, today, today, tonight we're going to feed, tonight we're going to feed 60 people that have no parents. We don't say a lot about this. Ten years ago, we birthed a ministry called Haven Place. It's downtown, pool table, ping pong tables, all kinds of food, hamburgers, free food, and it's for kids who don't have dads. It's open every evening of the week. Thousands of kids have been saved. Tonight, there'll be 60 kids there. They're not going to have Thanksgiving. There's not going to be no turkey. There's not going to be any fun and, and fellowship around the house. They don't have parents. Their parents are all on drugs or abandoned them. So tonight, we're going to feed 60 people. We're going, to, we're going to provide the food. And Susie is cooking for 60 people this afternoon. I'm going to go home and rest, take a power nap, and then get in a tree stand and miss a deer. Susie's going to work all afternoon feeding the hungry. I mean, she doesn't need to be in prison. Come on, help me. There's a reason why she needs to be free. Because she has a purpose. She has a destiny. She has a reason to be free. So pause and calmly think about that. If God did it for this buddy and this buddy, God will do it for her. Our next verse. Grant thee, according to thy own heart, 
and fulfill all thy counsel. God wants good things for his kids. And all God does is give us good counsel. There's safety in the multitude of counsel. When you begin to hear what God's word has to say, and God puts people in your life that don't have a hidden agenda, and the only reason they counsel you or to encourage you is to make you feel better, that's the kind of counsel you need in your life. And here's what David is saying. God, whatever, whatever your counsel is, let, let it come to pass. Let it, let it take place. And God, what you have for me, I don't want to disqualify myself through words and actions. I want all that you have for me. I have watched wives abandon a marriage too soon. I've watched parents give up on children too soon. I watched a lot of bad decisions made by people had they stayed the course, had they endured the race, had they stayed committed and not been so wishy-washy and so flip-flop. I'm going to preach a sermon one day on deadbeat dads because we have a generation of deadbeat dads. And you know I'm not talking to any of you. I'm talking about those on Facebook who are too lazy to drive three hours to come to our church on Sunday morning so they watch our podcast every Sunday. That's what I'm talking about. We have a generation of dads that have abandoned their commitment. They've abandoned their purpose. They've abandoned their destiny. They've left their children. But you know what the good news is? The book of Malachi says, In the last days I'll turn the hearts of the fathers back to the dads, to the children, and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. That there's a revival, a restoration coming, that we can be the prophet, priest, and king of our family. We can be that man that steps up the plate, that stays committed, that stays faithful. Regardless how frustrated or how discouraged we get, God always has the ability to turn it around. Someone say, Praise the Lord. It takes one minute to pray this prayer. What's the next verse? We will rejoice in thy salvation. and the name of our God, we will set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Three important things here. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Then the Bible says restore unto us the joy of our salvation. If you're not careful, you can be saved so long and be so narrow-minded that a one-legged neck could stand on your nose and kick your brains out. That's how narrow-minded you are. You get so narrow-minded that you forget where Jesus brought you from to where you are today. And spiritual pride fills your heart and fills your life. And the Bible says there's something he hates, and it's pride. If, if, if you're not excited, if you cannot remember Rhonda's mom testified at a, some kind of church event and she said this I can take you to the place I can tell you the time I don't know why I don't know why he did it but I can tell you what he did there was a songwriter in the congregation that's writ, written several songs Red Hymnal I think it was Vep Ellis and wrote this song I can take you to the place I can tell you the time I don't know why he came to where I was. I don't know why he saw me in my filth. I don't know why he saw me in my gutter. I don't know he saw me with all of my habits and says, I want you, I love you, I died for you. I'm going to get down there in the gutter with you. Pastor Jeff said it so well. It's not because of who I am. It's not because of what I've done. It's because of whose I am. It's because of who I belong to. And God does not abandon his children. God does not let his kids down. He stays the course. He knew there'd be a bump in the road. 
He knew there would be a, something happening in your life that would distract you. When, when Jesus was, t- was preaching to the seven churches, one of the churches, he said, you're great. You're feeding the hungry. You're, you're touching the world. But one thing you've done, you've forgotten your first love. And sometimes we just need to go there, wherever it was. I can take you to the very church. The very, I can show you within inches the place where God came. It was at an altar. And since then, things have never been the same. It always hasn't been hunky-dory peachy cream. There have been challenges and frustrations and hurts and pains. But something about what I've learned, my best day, my worst day, is always my best day because this day is going to draw to a close and the sun will come out tomorrow and you can bet your bottom dollar on tomorrow because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever and the promises of God are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I'm talking to somebody in this house. This is going to pass. This day is going to shut down. Nothing else can go wrong today. The sun's going to set. I'm going to put my head on the pillow, and I'm going to wake up, and tomorrow is going to be a brand new day, an exciting day. Living for Jesus is exciting. Being a part of the family of God is exciting. A lot of times we get up and ask our wife, what can I do for you today to take pressure off of you? When God gets up, he says, what can I do for you today to take pressure off of you? What a friend we have in Jesus. Let me conclude. Oh, Lord, we're out of time. Okay, this will be my first conclusion. Oh, I hate that too. That's okay. There's a song that we, we sing every once in a while. It says, When the Spirit of the Lord is in my heart, I will dance as David danced. David forgot that he was the king of the world, thought, forgot how prestigious and how important he was, and he got down and he danced like a fool. And his wife was so embarrassed of his, of his zeal for God that she made fun of him. And from that day forward, God shut her womb down, and David never visited her chamber again. Only you can worship God the way that you worship Him. Only you can praise God the way you praise Him. When the Spirit of the Lord is in my heart, I will sing as David sang. Some of you, especially Brian, don't give up your daytime job. I never knew there was anybody that could sing worse than Tim Sally, but there is. His name is Brian. But you know what the Word says? To make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Because when it goes from your mouth towards the presence of God and it hits God's mirror and flips around, noise, spelled backwards, is Zion. So, J.E., when you obey God, no matter how they rate your songs, how they rate your, your, your songwriting, but when you do it for the glory of God, it touches the heart of God and God begins to stand up. The Bible says there are millions of angels around the throne of God going holy, holy, holy and all of a sudden God will hit the scepter and say, hold on angels. Whoa, 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 whoa. Give it a rest for a minute. Because all the way down there in Cleveland, Tennessee there's a special choir 
Church of the Harvest is singing a new song unto me. So angels, just be quiet and let harvest be the entertainment of heaven for the next few minutes. And when we begin to sing unto God, God begins to pat his foot. And when God begins to pat his foot, the mountains in your life will crumble. When God begins to pat his foot, he'll bring river to your desert. When God begins to pat his foot, healing will come to your body. And then all of a sudden, God will stand up and say, do you think that you have the patent on singing? Do you think that you're the one that invented country west? that you invented rap he said I'm telling you hear the word of the Lord is that a joyous choir I hear no it's the Lord himself exulting over you in happy song he's got happy feet happy song happy heart and can I tell you what he sings to us oh yeah I've got a revelation in his country you are my sunshine my only sunshine you make me happy when skies are gray You'll never know, church, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. I'm tired of driving by a building that says house of God, place of God, name of God, whatever, whatever on the, but there's no worship, there's no praise. The Bible says he takes up residence in the praise and worship of his people that God chooses to dwell among us. <laughs> Next Sunday morning, I will be here. Pastor Ron, I will be here, but Pastor Jeff's going to minister. I got a feeling. He's going to go in the area of praise and worship, showing us what actually happens when we praise and worship God. Three things I need to tell you about David. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. I'll be done in four minutes. Three things David had going for him. The title of my message, as David did, is what we need to learn how to do. The first thing that David did, he saw an opportunity. Yesterday, Susie saw an opportunity. Last night, Brian saw an opportunity. David saw an opportunity, a place where he was needed. There was a giant that needed to be killed. The ones that should have killed it were chicken. But David said, is there not a cause? Absolutely. The God of the armies of Israel that that giant had defiled. And David said, for your mistake, your head's coming off. And I'm going to feed your head the fowls of the earth, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel. He saw an opportunity and he took advantage of that opportunity. He saw a need. He saw that he could make a difference. Susie's beans and potatoes and what else are we doing? Corn. Today will make a difference. We're going to feed a child who doesn't have a dad. We feed a child that's not going to go to bed at night and have a mom tuck him in. We feed a child that's become hard and calloused. Many of them are gothic. Many of them are EMO. Piercings and, and, and pain and suffering. I asked somebody, why did, you paint, why did you pierce your eyebrow going down to your nose, down to your belly? Why, why would you do those things? Because it hurts. We serve a generation that feels like it needs to hurt itself. We serve a generation so frustrated with life that they will take weapons and cut themselves or hurt themselves. Not realizing they have a friend in Jesus and we know him and it's time that we started dropping his name. It's time we started telling people how important he is, how great he is, and letting them know that they too can know him. Woo! Good preaching! Woo! If I got if I could shout and preach we're going to be here at 1230 the second thing what's the first thing opportunity there's a door out there 
there's a ministry out there. There's a need out there. If you open your eyes, you can see it. Second thing was ability. He recognized that he had God-given talents to meet the need. And now you're going to get tired of me saying this. The word younger in Hebrew means insignificant, slave. When Samuel came to the house of Jesse to anoint king, seven good-looking sons stood in front of him. God said, that's not it. And Jesse said, Samuel said to Jesse, are you sure you don't have another son? There are scholars that try to teach that David was born illegitimate. I don't, I don't know about that. I've looked at the teaching, and I don't know that I agree or disagree, but I do know this. His mom and dad forgot about him. And you might be in a place in life where you feel like people have forgotten about you, and you're on the backside of the desert, and nobody really cares where you're at. You're making minimum wage. You're frustrated. But let me tell you what David did while he took care of the sheep, and he took care of them. A lion roared, he killed it. A bear roared, he killed it. He was a good shepherd. But even better than being a good shepherd, he took advantage of those hours of idle time. And he perfected the harp. He was such an anointed musician that demons fled when he played. How cool would that be? He perfected that sling. Listen, I don't know if you've ever, run, if you've ever tried to run. How many have seen the old cowboy and Indian and stagecoach where, where they're, they're riding the horse and they're shooting? It's like... They shoot 81 times out of a six-shooter. It's a miracle. I don't know how they do that. But it's like they never hit anybody. I mean, come on. Nobody could be that bad of a shot except Sarah Palin. She shot at the moose five times and missed it. She had to get her dad's gun to, to, kill, the, to kill the elk. Or moose, whatever it was. Anyway, have you ever tried to run towards anything and shoot at it? He was so skilled with that sling, he ran towards the army. And as he ran, he began to sing that sucker. He let go of that rocket and hit the giant. The only place the giant was vulnerable. God knows where your enemy is vulnerable. God knows the weakness of your enemy. And God will give you the ability and the talent to take your enemy out. Amen. The third thing David had, desire. Man, a lot of us are burnt out, frustrated, been doing this a long time. We've lost our passion. You want your passion back? Go to Blockbuster and rent the passion. And watch the part where he was beaten to a pulp. Watch the part where he laid down his life. He could have called 10 million in. He could have wiped them out with his gaze. But he went through everything. His worst day was his best day. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down the right hand of God. When they were yanking the beard from his face, he smiled. When they took their fists and beat him, he smiled. When they drove the, the crown of thorns into his head, he smiled. Because he knew that there would be a day, 2011, that there would be 151 harvesters that would be gathered in a building that the children would worship, the youth would worship. And on that day, his worst day, he smiled. And all of heaven smiled and said, I'll be with you even to the ends of the world. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this house. <laughs> Opportunity, ability, and desire. I'll conclude with this illustration. Pastor Jeff, you want to come?
when I think of his goodness. Bruno Mars is in the building. Bruno, where are you? Come on, Bruno. Pastor Rond and I, for weeks, have been fussing at one another because we heard a secular song that we felt was a God idea. When I think of his goodness, do we need a drummer? Drummer? Here he comes. And that boy can drum, can't he? He thinks he's black. He's not, though. He's a white man trapped in a black man's... And I can relate. <laughs> Come on, Shanna. God spoke to me and said, 2012, we're going to do another praise and worship CD. Harvest going to do another... Harvest going to do another praise and worship CD. The last one we did was phenomenal. God's putting a, a dream team. What was his name? O.J. Simpson? He thought he had a dream team. You're a part of God's dream team. God dreamed about you. God dreamed about this moment. You're God's dream. You're God's fantasy. You're God's zeal. You're God's hope. You're God's cause. You're God's key. You're God's door. You're God's mouth. You're God's salt. You're God's light. Fraser, if we don't do it, it won't get done. Can I tell you the past 22 years I've been a part of this city? Can I tell you how many times in the past 22 years, Sergio, that somebody walked up to me and said, excuse me, can I ask you a question? Do you know where you would go if you died? The big EE campaign. Misha, you know how many times? Zero. And I've been everywhere. Fishtails, Walmart, Taco Bell. Out, out. Football games. Everett, not one single person came up to me and said, I'm concerned about your future. You know the Lord's your Savior. Can I tell you what God did for me? We got great churches. We got great programs. We got great toys. We have youth groups that party. Our city is still dying and going to hell. And when you think about how amazing God's love towards us was, that to reap a family, he sowed a son. God sowed his son in this earth. And God reaped us. Is he amazing to you? You lift your hand, those willing, wave at him. Come on, lift those hands up. Your name, your name. 
your name is higher than any other And I will praise you every day testimony come on. come on the Bible says go to the house of God have a word have a song have an offering if you'll prepare your offering I don't know if you can tell but the sound crew we're here to 1:30 last night have tweaked the speaker the sound sound better today last week we raised enough money to buy two microphones we need eight more microphones the microphones are about $85 a piece. I want you to prepare your heart to sow towards the sound ministry of this church. These microphones are 21 years old. If I told you how many germs and spit and slobber and makeup, lipstick were these microphones, you get grossed out. So I won't tell you. That is scary. That looks like Chris hit Victoria over the head with it. No telling how many times I've been drawn. We have a testimony. 